0: All right, well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, if you have them, to Proverbs chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to follow along in a Blue Pew Bible on page 532 is where you can find Proverbs 8. And as you've heard, we do have these two Sundays left in our summer series where we have been rotating between these two poetic books of Psalms and Proverbs. This Sunday, we have our final sermon for Proverbs. Next Sunday, Labor Day weekend, which another reminder, one gathering next weekend, 11 a.m., will be the final sermon from the book of Psalms. And then, as you have heard throughout the morning already, we're off and running September 10th. Um, All of our ministries start up again. Kids, youth, uh, we'll begin a new vision series where we can together kind of take stock of what God seems to be doing at Grace Church and um, how all of our stories have converged here for this time and within this church and how we can each participate in that story uh, that God is writing for Grace Church and uh it's exciting days here uh and it has been for a bit and we kind of see where uh seem to see where god is taking us and we want you to be a part of that we want to make sure that we're immersed in the word as as he leads us through his word uh on this journey that we're together at grace church and so that's all going to kick off september 10th and hope that um it's in your plans uh, to be here with us to kick that off but we're still in the book of proverbs summer's not over yet and we have seen in these sermons uh, that the wisdom of God can be applied to very specific and very practical areas in our lives. Our, uh, we looked at our words, our speech, our planning, and our decision-making, and how we think about the future in our lives. Last week, we talked about the wisdom of friendship. And now we're going to dig into a theme that might seem strange at first, but I think is most relevant of all, and that is the wisdom of life and death the wisdom of life and death and how we think about that and how it shapes the way that we live. Um, I say it's relevant because it's relevant to the book of Proverbs because of how often those two words are in this book. The word life appears in Proverbs 56 times. The word death or die appears 20 times. So it's relevant in this book. But it's also relevant to us because those two topics bracket everything we think about and are elevated in our minds and our hearts. That's why we say certain topics are a matter of life and death. When we say that, we mean this is important, this is the most important, this is life or death. It's why we remember the days we are born, and we remember and grieve the days that people die. It brackets the way we see ourselves and the way that we see others. Um, as you know, that the days we are born each year are a day to celebrate, right? We celebrate our birthdays. You all know your birthday. Have you ever thought about this? I've thought about this from time to time. Isn't that kind of funny when you think about it? Like, we all know the day we were born. And that's just common. Like, everybody knows it. Uh, today, in fact, August 27th, is our oldest son, Caden's ninth birthday. Uh, and he loves all the over-and-top embarrassing ways that you'll say happy birthday to him this morning. Uh, he just wants it all. <laughs> he wants it all. He's sitting right up here. Um, the countdown has been on for weeks. Um, like Caden, you all have a birthday. Some of you maybe had a birthday this past week. Others maybe have a birthday this upcoming week. It's on the calendar. It's your birthday. It's your life day. And the reality is, we don't talk about it as much, nor do we want to, you also have a death day. And you don't know that day, but that day is also on the calendar. And when others in our lives have a death day, we remember that too. We remember it in our grieving, not necessarily in celebrating. Yesterday, we held the memorial service for a longtime Grace Church member, Janet Boslin, who Matt just prayed for, for her and her family. Um, like anyone else, when you read about Janet, um, the first thing you would see in her obituary are the brackets of life and death. It's the first thing you see. When was she born? When did she die? So you have the birthday, birth year, a dash, and then a death day and a death year. Janet Boslin, June 16th, 1934. Dash, July 30th, 2023. But when the book of Proverbs talks about life and death, it's not just or even primarily talking about the year at the front or the year at the end. The book of Proverbs is interested on how you live out the dash that's in the middle. You don't control... The numbers on your obituary, but you do have some say in the dash in the middle. And the Proverbs has a lot to say about that dash. How are you living out your dash? True wisdom is knowing that there's a way to live out your time here that is under the shadow of death. That can be true. Where you could be dead even as you live. But true wisdom also says that there's, a, there's knowing a way to live life to the fullest where you can say, truly, I am alive even as I die. So in God's design, we don't control the years, but how can we live out our lives to the fullest? And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8, and we're not going to read all of Proverbs 8, but it speaks about wisdom, wisdom as a person calling out to mankind. And so we're going to go to the end of the chapter, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 32 To 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. All right, well, one thing, maybe the primary thing I've tried to make clear this summer as I've gone through these sermons in the book of Proverbs is to convey the critical point that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is first and foremost a person. We've said that every week in our series. Wisdom is first and foremost a person before it's a way you can live. And the reason why is because if Proverbs is plucked out of context of the rest of the Bible, you just take this book and you just read this book, um, here's what it could be. It could be seen as a guideline on how to live a good life. Um, how to live a successful, upright life and, and, and the way you can better perform at doing good. If you listen to Proverbs, you obey Proverbs, you'll, you'll be wise, you'll, you'll be good, you'll get success. And then that will determine if you're in fact, if you're good, is if how well you follow this book. And, and the reason why that's so dangerous is because our hearts are drawn to that. That, that, that. That's the very mentality our hearts are drawn to, that sort of thinking of self-justification. It's why it's so common for even people who maybe grew up in a church their entire life, grew up in a religious family, a religious household, even as they get into adulthood, um, could, could live their lives and still think that their salvation is based upon their behavior first and foremost. That, that, that their character, they say, I'm a good person. I've, I've had this background. I, I've followed the guidelines. I've figured out how to follow the rules, and I do pretty good at it. And I might not be perfect, but, but the good sure outweighs the bad. And it's tragic how many people, again, grew up in a religious you know, household on some spectrum, will think that that is what defines them. Their own behavior is their self-justification. But when true wisdom is seen first as a way of living... It leads to death. But Proverbs presents itself as wisdom being a person, wisdom personified, as we just read, wisdom speaking out. And then when taken in context with the rest of the Bible, the Bible goes on to reveal that Jesus is that person. In First Corinthians chapter two, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he refers to Jesus as Christ, the, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus, the wisdom of God. Jesus is the person that Proverbs is talking about. You can go back and read Proverbs, including all of chapter eight, and, 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 and read it as if Jesus Himself is saying those words. It can be pretty powerful to kind of go back in the lens of Jesus, read that book again. That's only in Jesus you can be truly good, not yourself. It's only in Jesus you can be truly wise and live life to the fullest. Whoever finds me finds life. What's that actually mean, though? What does it mean in a way that it shapes the way that you live, that that, that can help you live out your dash? Don't you all want to live out your dash well? Don't you want to get to the end and say, I finished well, I lived out the dash well? Here are the ways we can do that out of the book of proverbs five things five things on how to live life to the fullest starting with number one receiving christ here's where it begins receiving christ um uh, our, our lives all consist of a journey we're all on a journey and on that journey you make a series of choices every single day you wake up every morning and you just make decisions all day that's what you do you're just constantly making decisions making choices as you go about your day whether you realize it or not Your day just consists of decision after decision after decision, choice after choice after choice, more than you can ever count or even realize in a given day. And not every decision is created equal. I think there are certain what I would call life-shaping decisions that we've all made that impact other decisions that will come after. Decisions like marriage or a school to attend, a major to pick, a job to accept. Where you live, whether or not you have children, whether or not you join a church, right? You can go on and on. But these are the life-shaping decisions that then inform all the other decisions that come after it. And so we make these decisions in a way that seems right to us. We all do. All of us make decisions in our lives that seem right to us. They seem wise. And when we say right, we don't mean that it's always easy to make the decision. Here are the hard decisions you have every day. When you have conflicting desires, you have something you got to decide, but you have two desires and they seem to conflict with one another and you got to choose. So let me use just a simple um, example, not a life-shaping decision, maybe for everyone, but here's a decision that maybe I face from time to time. It gets to later at night and I'm hungry. And there are four pieces of pizza left over. And and I'm hungry and I like pizza. I want to eat that pizza because it tastes good. That's a desire I have in that moment. But here's the thing. I also want to have a good night's sleep. And I want to wake up early and be able to get a good workout in the morning. And I know if I eat four pieces of pizza late at night, I'm going to struggle to sleep. I'm going to struggle to have the energy to wake up and have a good workout the next morning. That's a conflicting desire. But i got to choose. I'm going to either do it or I'm not. I want two things at once. And so in that moment, I'm going to do what we all do. I'm going to choose what I want most. The thing I want most will rise to the top, what seems best to me. And that's true, again, for all of us. But the bad news lurking underneath that all is that when left to our own devices to live our lives this way, our choices will not align with life. It will not align with life in the way our creator talks about and designs us to have life. Proverbs 14, all these cross references will be up on the screen. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's a haunting verse. There's a way that seems right, and you're going to decide what seems right, comma, but... Its end is death. Why? Why is that verse in the Bible? Why is that true for all of us? The reason is because we have what is called a sin nature. A sin nature which among other things declares that we cannot be wise in our own strength. And the most important life-shaping decision we have is by our nature one of rejection that we choose. That is a rejection of God of rejection of him and his design over our lives, placing ourselves in his place. I wonder if Paul had the book of Proverbs in mind when he was writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 1. Think about the book of Proverbs as you see these verses, and this might be familiar to you. They'll be on the screen. Romans 1 verse 19. For what what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And the truth of the good news of the gospel begins with a revelation to that truth, that without Christ, we are dead even as we live. And it is because it is in our nature that we are without Christ that we need to receive Christ. That's why it starts here. You want to let out your dash? Well, it begins here. Receive Christ. This is why he came. Jesus came. Not to make you a nicer person, but to make you a new person. We don't need to be made nice. We need to be made new. And it's why the cross is so central in our teaching. It's why one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper every week is to dwell on the cross because without the cross, we have no hope. Uh, John Stott, who wrote in his well-known book called The Cross of Christ, he puts it this way. He's compelling to me. I'm going to share it. It'll be on the screen. He says, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be in charge of our lives while God puts himself where we deserve to be being punished on the cross that is our only hope so did Jesus come in anger towards you and bitterness towards you no he came declaring as he did in John ten ten, the thief comes only to kill to steal and kill and destroy I came I came That they may have what? Life. And have it abundantly. Just because you're breathing doesn't mean you have life in God's eternal eyes. He came so that you might have life. Or as wisdom personified said in Proverbs 8, for whoever finds me finds life. And and, and the truth, the more you dig into that, it just gets better. It gets better and it gets better that he came and found you. You need only to receive him. And if you've not made that decision, that is the decision that is in front of you. Of all the decisions you make today and the rest of your life, this is where it begins. No other choice is going to matter. Have you received Christ? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Nothing else will matter until it begins there. But then upon receiving him, what's it look like now to live unto him? By God's grace, many of you have received Christ. So now how do you live that life in Christ to the fullest, abundantly? What's that look like for you today, tomorrow, next year? Lord willing. Let's go to number two. Treasuring Christ. Life to the fullest is receiving Christ and then treasuring Christ. Proverbs 10 verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. And in Proverbs 24, verses 13 and 14, My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future. And your hope will not be cut off. This is important. Um, The primary evidence that your heart has been transformed is not your outward behavior, but your inward treasuring of Christ. It is your primary evidence, not your outward behavior. We'll get there in a moment. But your primary evidence starts with your inward treasuring of Christ. Uh, This is a topic that perhaps I am most passionate about because it is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about God stays in your mind. You know about the cross and the meaning of Easter. You know about his birth and the meaning of Christmas. You know about Jesus' death and resurrection. You know about the empty tomb. Uh, you know about the Christian life. You know about the norms that come with it, what it kind of is supposed to look like. You know about moral living and, and, and what a Christian is supposed to do. And those things are not unimportant. They are vital. But they are not enough. And many people are fooled into thinking that because they know about God, And that means they actually know him. But knowing God is when that which you know in your mind is treasured in your heart. That's how you know. In your own heart, to your own conscience, I treasure that which I know. And your affections are tied to him. Because he didn't just die, he died for you. He he, does not just forgive in general, He, he forgave you. He forgave your sin. He redeemed your story. This is faith, not just that he existed, but he came for you. That's when it goes from your mind to your heart. And it's an explosion of realization of God's grace in your life. That when you truly understand grace, like real grace, you'll treasure him. How could you not? There's nothing in you that was worthy of redemption. Purely his grace towards you. And it's real. And it leads to the fullness of life from the inside out. This is why, as we sang this morning, why believers can rejoice in their sufferings. That's a foreign concept to everybody else in the world. That you can not only endure your sufferings, but you can rejoice in your sufferings. Because our outward circumstances are not what define us. What defines us is our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's what defines you. And so what separates Christians from the rest of the world is not outward success, it's not the absence of outward suffering, but it is the presence of inward treasuring. That's what separates us, the presence of inward life, a treasure that will never be taken from you. Uh, There's this book, it's called The Insanity of God. It's been a few years since I've referenced it. Um, It's a book that talks about persecuted Christians all across uh, the world in the 20th century And within it, it tells a story of a man named Stoyan. Stoyan, who lived in an Eastern European country after World War II, as the communist regime of the Soviet Union consolidated power in that region of the world. Uh, One of the primary aspects and tenets of that regime was to outlaw Christianity altogether. Stoyan's father was a pastor, and he was arrested by the secret police and put into prison and Stoyan and his mom did not hear from him or about him for nine months. I think Stoyan was eight or nine years old at this time. Then his mom received notification that his dad was being transferred to a labor camp, and they would allow a one-hour visit before he got on the train. So Stoyan and his mom quick go to where they told him to go. And the boy, Stoyan, would only recognize his dad in this visit, because there was a lot of prisoners that were seeing family. He only recognized his dad by his piercing blue eyes because he couldn't recognize anything else. He had lost so much weight, had been beaten so badly, the only way he could know, this is my daddy, was looking in his eyes. And the little boy, eight years old, nine years old, takes his dad's hand. The first thing he says to his dad after nine months, dad, I'm so proud of you. But then his mom embraces her husband and while embracing him, slips a New Testament Bible into his wool cap. But the guard sees it. And he takes the book and he summons over his commander and tells him what, the mom, what his mom tried to do to provide his dad a Bible. And the commander goes into a tirade on the mom, saying, do you know I can kill you right here? I can kill your whole family right here and I would be applauded for it. Do you realize that, woman? To which his mom, who is kneeling by her husband, stands up, looks at the commander in the eye and says this, and this will be on the screen, Sir, you are right. You can kill my husband. You can kill me. I know that you can even kill our son. But nothing you do will separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. And the commander stood down, walked away. Father still went to prison or the labor camp. What is that? How does that make any sense to anybody if you're not treasuring Christ inwardly? That is what separates believers in this world. Not more success than other people, not the absence of suffering, but it's living in a freedom that you will never be separated from the love of Christ. Treasuring Christ. we got to keep going to number three, What's it look like in our lives today to live out that dash to the fullest? Number three, pursuing Christ. And you see the trajectory here of receiving Christ and treasuring Christ now to pursuing Christ because that inward treasuring does translate to an outward pursuit, it does lead to visible fruit in our lives. That the Spirit of God dwells in you and empowers you to obedience. It promotes holiness. It fuels a Christ-likeness in our thoughts and our words and our actions. And we're not perfect, certainly, on that day one. And you'll never be perfect on this side of glory. But you will grow in your pursuit of Christ. Uh, Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The righteous man runs into it, pursues it, pursuing the Lord. He's our strong tower. So here's what true wisdom means for our lives. It means that every choice and decision that we are talking about, every choice, every decision in your life is sought to be brought under the lordship of Christ. Every decision is brought under the lordship of Christ. And so now our lives serve as a fragrance That is pleasing and glorifying to him. There's nothing too small to offer up to the Lord. It's an all-out daily pursuit. And you won't pursue God in the big things unless you first pursue God in the small things. Um, Earlier this summer, I said that there's no such thing as a mundane day in the kingdom of God for the people of God. There's no such thing as a pointless day, right? There's not just another Monday. There's not just a working for the weekend, Every day for the people of God is meaningful in the kingdom of God. Uh, this past week, there's an article published on the Gospel Coalition by a guy named Alan Noble. Alan Noble, the author who's been very honest. Uh, it's not the only thing he writes about, but he's been honest about his lifelong battle with depression. And he wrote an article this past week, and the title of the article is The Wager on Getting Out of Bed. And I recommend the whole article to you, but here's a quote from it. The most fundamental decision is the decision to get out of bed. It communicates something. The decision to get out of bed is the decision to live. It's a claim that life is worth living despite the risk. That even when it's hard, it's good. Even when you don't feel that it's good. Even when goodness is unimaginable, it's good. The pursuit of Christ means that every decision, beginning with the decision to get out of bed in the morning, is brought under the lordship of Christ and then giving him access to each room in our lives. Um, when you're a guest in someone's home, uh, the owner of that home will likely implicitly, sometimes explicitly tell you where you can't go. Um, there are certain part of the house guests that are off limits to you. Oftentimes, you're probably not going into the master bedroom and bathroom when you go into somebody's home. Or there's that closet or room we all have that everything just got thrown into 15 minutes before you arrived. (laughs) Sometimes it's locked. Sometimes it can't. Don't go in there. (laughs) I think many people, professing Christians, treat Jesus like that guest in their home. There are certain parts of your life you don't want to give him access to. Jesus, you can come into my marriage room, but not my work room. You can come into my hobbies room, but I can't let you into my parenting room. Jesus, you can step inside to the room and access what I post on social media, but not into the room that accesses my internet history. You can have a say in my money, but not in who I date or what I do when I date that person. A pursuit of Christ, living out life to the fullest, is traveling on the pathway where over time you know you're unlocking every door and you're giving him all the access. Knowing that every choice and every decision and every minute and every dollar and every relationship and every text and every line and every thought is brought under the lordship of Christ. He sees it all. He wants to guide you in it all. And the more we withhold from him, the more locks we put on the doors of the rooms of our lives, the more we allow the shadow of death to overtake the fullness of life. For every door you lock and deny him access to, you allow the shadow of death to overcome the fullness of life. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to just press in here for a moment this week what's a room you need to unlock what's the room that you have closed off access to jesus for a long time maybe you used to but then something happened and then that door got locked and it hasn't been unlocked for a long time you know the room what's it going to take for this week for you to say jesus it's time It's time for you to come back in. In your pursuit of Christ, it will be hard, but my goodness, it will be worth it. It will be worth the hard. And I'm praying for you this week that there's a room that you're going to unlock. I want to quote, before we move to the next point, another article that dropped this week. This time it was from our very own Pastor Ben, who wrote on our Substack page, which is called Words of Grace. He wrote an article entitled... Wisdom means factoring God into your life. That's the title. Wisdom means factoring God into your life. I also would recommend the whole article. And beyond that, subscribe to that page on Substack, Words of Grace, and then you'll get all future articles to your inbox. Many of our staff and leaders write articles about two to three a month. Here's what Ben writes. It'll be on the screen. To approach our lives wisely, we need to take stock of reality. God is sovereign and... We have an important role to play because God gave it to us when he made us in his image. Faith moves mountains, as my friend likes to say. So pick up your shovel and start digging. Start digging. Unlock the rooms. Pursue Christ. It is a lifelong, joyful affirmation that wisdom means factoring God into your life. All right, we got two more. How do you live out your dash to the fullest? Number four, spreading Christ. Spreading Christ. When you pursue Christ, it's not only for the glory of God, it's not only for our joy, but it's for the flourishing of others around you. Right, Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Look, and whoever captures souls is wise. The fruit of a righteous life is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise spreading Christ in the way that you live. Uh, We know, and some of you experienced in your life, that the primary way God reveals himself to non-believers, the primary way God reveals that there's a way for people in our broken world to experience life, like true life and life to the fullness, is through the lives and influence of his people. In other words, through you. That's his primary goal and aim. Through the local church and through those who make up the local church. To spread Christ through you. So at Mega Sports Camp this past uh, summer, uh, is that still last month? I don't know, I'm losing time. Yes, it was in July. uh, Our church's VBS program. One of the daily kind of take-home points was this. Be influential. That because of what Jesus has done in you, you can be influential. And when that point was hammered home to over 100 kindergarten through fifth graders, they are hearing that influence... Influence is not something that makes much of us. Like it is to be an influencer in our celebrity social media crazed world. But an influencer is something that makes much of him. You can be influential. In your life, you can make much of him. And true wisdom is recognizing that collateral benefit of your life. That your life is never just about you. Even if you think it's about you, it's not about you. If there is always either a collateral benefit to the way you walk in the ways of life, or there's collateral damage in the way that you walk in the ways of death, it's going to spread something. What's it going to spread? We're all influencers, whether we realize it or not. We're all making disciples to put biblical language on it. The question is, what are you influencing them towards? The question is, what are you making disciples of? We are called to spread Christ to make known the name, power, and grace of Christ. And may it be true of us, may it be true of us, that as we look back on our lives, as we approach our death day, it's on the calendar, whenever it's going to be for all of us, that as you approach your death day, that you can be able to look back on your life and say, I pursued my calling to spread Christ in the ways that he's uniquely gifted and giving me the opportunity to. Um, End of August, students, you're all preparing to head back to school in the next couple of weeks. Some of you are going this week, others of you are going next week. We got elementary school students in the room, middle school, high school. You're, you're, you're probably thinking about a lot. There's a lot of preparations you're making, your parents are making. You're thinking about classes, you're thinking about fall sports, you're thinking about your friends, or reconnecting with your friends, or for new clubs you might try. Keep thinking about those things. Can I ask you? to consider how you will be influential this school year. How can you be influential? Meaning, how can you spread Christ this year? Can you factor that into your thinking these next couple of weeks? Not just talking to the public school kids, right? We all know Christian schools need Christ spread within them as well. Encouraging and promoting each other within holiness. Wherever you are, homeschool, private school, public school, how... Will you spread Christ this upcoming school year? And then for the rest of us, may it be true that when the Lord calls us home, that we can look back on the way that we spoke, the way that we worked, the way that we served, the way that we treated our spouse, raised our kids, made our money, spent our money, invested in the kingdom, that our aim was to spread Christ. That deathbed reality is truly a celebration of life. That's what it is to be alive even as you die. One left. Last one. Resting in Christ. How do you live life to the fullest? This is intentionally the last one. Resting in Christ. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. we do finish here not only this sermon but this study in Proverbs this summer because Proverbs can do more harm if we're not careful talked about this earlier Proverbs could lead to something coming out of this room that you need to be prepared for that I don't want you to feel it could lead you a sermon like this a book like this could lead you to just shaming yourself for all the things you're not doing well maybe you lost count this morning of all the things I've said he said not doing that well not doing that well Failing in that, a lot of rooms locked right now. That's not the point. Maybe you have received Christ, but you are being convicted and not treasuring him and pursuing him or spreading him. And perhaps God is calling you to repent this morning and giving you that invitation to repent and be restored back to him. But the goal of this sermon is not to put bricks in your backpack and send you out. The goal is not to burden you down and say, good luck out there. If you do well, come back next week. The goal is to show you that true wisdom leads to the rest of the soul. True wisdom and living out life to the fullest leads to a rest of the soul. The fool in Proverbs is always chasing, always grinding, never stopping, and never finding always needing affirmation from others, always feeling like they aren't getting what they deserve, lives that might look successful but are riddled with restlessness and discontentment. That's the life of the fool. That's to be dead even as you live. But when Jesus calls us to come to him, he primarily is calling us to rest. There's nothing more to be done for you to experience peace in this world I've done it. It's all done in me. I am true wisdom. In me, there is true rest. And it's only when we see what he has done on the cross, high and lifted up, that we'll finally stop trying to prove ourselves and can then pour out ourselves for whatever time we have left to make much of him. That is rest. And that is ultimate life. And that is the dash between the years of your earthly lives that rightly stares down death and calls it a lie. For when you rest in Christ, it is life to the full. The job is finished. Brothers and sisters, sit down and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this entire book of Proverbs. We thank you how it constantly calls us to true wisdom meaning it constantly calls us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus. And through Jesus, Lord, that we can live out our very daily lives and endure and persevere and even rejoice through the ups and downs of these lives, knowing that our value is secure in you, our rest of our soul is secured in you, and that is the fuel through which we can pour ourselves out for your glory. Lord, the pressure is off We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And you have empowered us and equipped us to treasure you, to pursue you, to spread your name. And yes, to find our rest in you, Lord. Let it be that it is truly your son, Jesus, who is our hope in both life and death. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in song.